Hey, everybody. Welcome to the North Carolina Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Tiffany Weber. I'm an attorney at Thomas & Weber in Mooresville, North Carolina. And today I am joined by Erin Weatherman, who is Hi. also an attorney. I'm very excited that you're here with me today to talk about the North Carolina Offer to Purchase. Now, let's talk a little bit about buyer representation. So, Erin, take us through these things that the buyer is representing to the seller at the time of the offer. So, this is kind of like, how am I funding this purchase? So, am I going to use cash? Um, those dollars that we talked about, <laughs> um, not that hard cold cash, um, but USD, um, <laughs> but not a loan. Or am I using a loan? And if I am using a loan, what type of loan? So that would be like a conventional or an FHA or a veteran loan, all of that. And then how much is my loan for? Um, you hopefully got some form of pre-approval or pre-qualification before you started looking at houses. And so most of the time sellers ask for that. But this is where you say how much you intend to use in your loan. Yes, and the buyer may be wondering, well, why is that any of the seller's business? Well, they're taking the property off the market. Mm -hmm. So they're losing the opportunity to sell to other buyers. Mm -hmm. And who knows if you take 30 days, 45 days, to you know you either can't get the loan or you can't come up with the cash the, yeah. the seller has given up 45 days worth of opportunities to sell this property to someone else so in fact there's a note here that the the people that made this form said hey if seller um you've got a buyer that's wanting to pay cash we recommend you get verification of funds yep so even the North Carolina Association of Realtors and the Bar Association recommend to the seller, hey, find out that the buyer can actually either get approved for the loan by getting a, you know, the copy of the pre-qualification or yeah. pre-approval letter or verification of funds for a cash purchase so that you're not essentially wasting your time on a buyer that will never be able to complete the purchase. So that next section B is other property. So does the buyer have to sell property to qualify for the purchase? This is where my kid understanding of property comes into play. I always thought buyers and sellers just switched houses. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand the process of like you moved into another house, but you still technically had your house and you were trying to sell it at the same time. So. It just makes sense that you switch, um, but that's not. <laughs> Don't how that worry, happened. she she figured it out before law school. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit before law school, um, and so that's where it becomes important as to whether you're going to make it a contingency that the buyer does have to sell their property, and so some people can't afford that that mortgage for their current house and the new purchase at the same time. And so that's why this section is so important. Mm -hmm. And it's also important if you're an agent representing a seller, you know this, mm -hmm. but to explain to your seller, hey, we have six offers in front of us. You know, some of them they're required to sell, they won't be able to qualify for a loan unless they sell their house. Yep. And then of the ones that they, that are in that scenario, okay, well this one, there's, they're already under contract. Yep. This one, it's being actively marketed. This one, it's not even on the market. Yep. So there's so many different levels of determination that you go through, like which one's the strongest offer? You know, it might be more attractive to seller. Okay, well, I like the one that's under contract. <laughs> you, yeah. know, I, you know, that's the, our safest bet of it's already under contract. And that, you know, 
whatever makes the seller make their decision and their factors that go into decision making that depends on you know the client themselves and you know your counsel to them as their agent but this is something to explain to sellers of this is why this section matters and buyers if you're wondering well why is it in any of their business because they're using it to evaluate your offer yep all right now let's continue on with these are again the the buyer's representations the things that they're representing to the seller at the time of the offer the seller has some documents to provide one Mm -hmm. is the the residential property and owners association disclosure and then the mineral oil and gas rights mandatory disclosure statement so these are things where the seller says the roof was replaced in 2017 no there's no issue with the hvac so on and so forth it's a several page document where they basically talk about the condition of the home any changes made to the home but this is where the buyer says whether or not they've received a copy of that document yep and if they have not received a copy of it um and there's no exemption from the seller providing it then the seller still has to give that document over to the buyer yeah and if the they don't do that by the end of the third calendar day the buyer gets another way to back out yeah so that's kind of, you know, one of those things, get it before you go under contract. It's, it's ready. The seller's done it. Their agent yeah. made them do it. So just get the yeah. copy before you go under contract. <laughs> now let's talk also about the buyer obligations. This is paragraph six. So these are the things that the buyer is responsible for. So if the buyer is buying the property, and there are some special assessments that were lurking out there but had not been approved prior to closing if they're approved after closing this contract says okay it doesn't matter that they were lurking about when you went under contract once you close if it's approved after closing you're responsible to pay it yeah that can sometimes um you know i'm thinking of examples like the that neighborhood the point where you can't do anything without the hoa approving it um you know if there's some special assessment for the peer that was proposed during the time of the contract, but it doesn't get approved until after the contract or after the closing, then the buyer is going to be responsible. Uh, buyer also has to pay any costs related to um, their loan. Um, there are some special things that the buyer can pay for for HOA management companies. That's in a different paragraph. We'll talk about that in a later episode. Um, also, the buyer's going to pay for appraisal, title search, title insurance, the closing attorney's fees, the recording fee for the deed, and then preparing any of the documents that are going to secure the loan or make the loan possible. So that would be, you know, deed of trust, loan docs, etc. Now, the reason I emphasize recording the deed, that's different than preparing the yep. deed. So the seller is going to have to pay for preparing the deed, but the recording fee assessed by the register of deeds in the county, the buyer will pay for that. And then next, the buyer is giving permission to essentially release certain information to certain parties. So this lets the agents and the closing attorney give copies of the contract to the parties that are necessary um, in order for them to do their jobs, like the appraiser, you know, closing disclosure to give the closing disclosure to the agents, to the lenders, et cetera. So basically if you're involved within the contract and the buyer's team, mm-hmm. they're kind of giving permission for the buyer's team to share information. 
Now, talk to me about the seller representations. So first is how long has the seller owned the property? Have they owned the property for more than one year or do they own the property at all? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, that is a checkbox. (laughs) Oh, yes. A very important checkbox. The next one is lead-based paint. Really, it's talking about specifically for homes built prior to 1978. There's an addendum for that. If your home was built prior to 1978, then C is all of those HOA lovely information Mm -hmm. about who is the HOA, what are the dues, and some details regarding that HOA. After that, D, that's our fuel tanks now. Yeah, new section. (laughs) Woohoo! So this is where you say whether or not to seller's knowledge there is a fuel tank located on the property. And if there is the description of the tank and if there is one or two. I love here that there's also a note that It's kind of like telling the seller, hey, it's against the law in North Carolina for you to mess with the tank without the permission of the supplier. Like, you can't just disconnect the tank and run off with it. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you've got the supplier's permission, unless you've agreed that it didn't stay with the property. Like, you don't get to just do whatever you want with the fuel tanks. I don't know how many times we've had people say, oh, well, the seller took the fuel tank and it was supposed to be included, and that becomes a whole thing. So I do like this change to the contract because it makes it a lot more clear who's responsible for what, does the tank stay or does it go, um, who's the supplier of the tank. I mean, it's much more clear in this version compared to the last. Yeah, absolutely. Now talk to us too, this next paragraph is juicy. Oh, seller's obligations? (laughs) Yeah, and it takes, this will probably be where we have to end because there's a lot to talk about here. Oh, yes, Kick us off. (laughs) All of these seller obligations. So we talked a little bit about the the house has got to have clean title to it. Um, The property has to have clean title to it. Um, So that's, I own the house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of the things we talked about with having a survey is making sure that there's no encroachments or anything like that because that's a title defect. And so you're saying that there are no title defects. Um, I'm going to pay off my loan. So you're not going to have a loan on the property already. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And then uh, I'm not a foreign person. And that's just really for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this this contract says the seller shall provide to the closing attorney all information needed to obtain a written payoff statement. So from the lender, this is not from the seller. This is not the seller taking a screenshot of their statement. First of all, because <laughs> the statement and the payoff are not the same thing. Correct. Agents, you already know why that is, but this I'm calling it out so that you can remember to explain that to your sellers. You know, I know you have so much going on in the transaction that you're you're listening to us drone on about these details, and you're like, "There's too much happening for me to go through all of this." Well, some of these things, these little things, turn into big things later, and it's when the seller says, "I'm not returning the info sheet. I don't feel like filling all this out." Well, the contract obligates you mm-hmm. to do it. So the info sheets are not just a; they're not busy work. Their contract obligation. It's, yeah. it's a shall, not a may. <laughs> and what is needed is specifically for the payoff is often the, in, the last four of the social um, and sometimes a hard copy or a hard signature. What signature? So we try to use electronic signatures. Lenders are supposed to take electronic signatures. Not all of them do. So sometimes that means we have to come back to the seller and say, 
please let's sign this document so that we can obtain the payoff. Do it timely, too, because it's a contractual obligation. Yeah. Um, Talking about socials real quick, mm -hmm. um, I've had a number of people who go, I don't really want to give you my social. Well, here at Thomas & Weber, we're not in the business of <laughs> stealing your identity. <laughs> no, we all want to stay uh, licensed by the North Carolina Bar. <laughs> yeah, so um, please just provide it. Now, continuing on, like the buyer gave permission to for their team to know information, the seller is giving information not only for their team to share information, but for information to be shared with the buyer's side. So anything that comes up on the title report, the buyer has to know about that. That's not a secret. So if the buyer is in bankruptcy, that's a title issue that has yeah. to be resolved. That's not going to be kept a secret from the buyer. Yeah. Now let's talk about access to the property. Take us through that a little bit. Um, so how can a buyer inspect a property in their due diligence period if you won't let them in? Yeah, um, do not be on the porch with a shotgun. <laughs> um, people can't perform inspections or appraisals, but it's a little bit of a pain. It's a little bit of a tedious process. It's like your Appraisal. house is going to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you get um, insurance on the property, an insurance person comes out and takes pictures of the house. I mean, it's a whole thing. And so you have to allow people to come to the property and see it because otherwise the buyer can't do their due diligence. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a limitation on it. It's reasonable access. So this... This is a very lawyer term, reasonable. Uh, there's there's such a thing as a reasonable person standard of what would a reasonable person do under the circumstances. I love whenever the definition uses the word. <laughs> what would a reasonable person do? Then um, that's what a, what reasonable means. So in that case, you know, I think it would be unreasonable in a residential transaction for the buyer to want to come to the house three times a day, every yep. day during the due diligence period. There's yeah. not a lot of circumstances in which that would be appropriate. Yeah. Reasonable access means giving the buyer time to do the things that the contract says they can do. Yeah. So you don't get to just say, listen, you were here last week with the surveyor and now you want to come back with the inspector this week. Yeah. And you got to let them. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that it's not possible to get every service provider. Maybe it is possible. I don't want to say it's impossible. That's a very hard stance to take. It is unlikely that you'll be able to get the appraiser, inspector, surveyor, um, anyone that needs to come to the property yeah. to be able to come at the exact same time on the exact same day. Yeah. If so, that's wonderful. The stars aligned. Mm -hmm. Awesome for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's probably not going to happen. So yeah. help your sellers understand that what reasonable access means. Tell us about the removal of seller's property. Just take us through a couple of these next paragraphs. Yeah, so the seller needs to remove all of their property. All of their property that we didn't say, hey, we want that too. Um, so if I said, hey, I want your table, you got to leave your table. But everything else, I need you to take it. <laughs> I'm ready to put yeah. my furniture in this house now. Yeah. Um, then we... <laughs> Can we talk? I'm sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> no. But... Think about, um, and I know you see this every day too, we'll be sitting at our conference table and the buyers will say, 
um, what were you going to do with that pool table? That's yeah. Uh, you forgot the pool table that's up there in the spare room, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we didn't have any room on our truck. We just figured y'all would want it." And they're like, "We don't." And they're like, "Well, we don't have any room on our truck." And then it becomes like a just staring at each other. It can get kind of uncomfortable when I have to say, "Well, the contract does say that the seller shall remove their personal property." Um, so if it wasn't a agreed that the buyer would keep it like the buyer doesn't have to keep your stuff that you didn't want Aaron I know you've moved a couple times <laughs> um, but when you you know the house that you're buying someday when you move out of it you're gonna find stuff that you're like oh we don't really care about this anymore we don't want it we don't have to pack it or move it the buyers probably want it you know yep. like it'll be tempting to be like oh the buyers could use this don't assume that because you're <laughs> legally obligated under the contract to yeah. get your I was about to say a curse word to get your stuff out of the house. <laughs> I will let you talk now. <laughs> that next one E is that affidavit of indemnification. Um, so that's kind of like a lien waiver. So mm -hmm. that's anything that has been done to the property in the last 120 days has been paid for. Um, so if we requested improvements that you paid for those, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because that would otherwise lead to a possible lien on the house. Mm -hmm. Then you see that designation of lien agent payment and satisf satisfaction of liens. So that would be you paid those liens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's more uh, common in like a recent improvements, renovation, or construction. Mm -hmm. Now, the good title legal, legal access, this is, this this talks about what type of deed the seller mm -hmm. has to execute, which is a general warranty deed. Yep. Sometimes sellers will be like, no, we're only doing a quick claim. Well, unless you agreed in the contract to for it to be a quick claim, you're going to sign a general warranty deed. Yep. <laughs> I'm, you know, I can't advise the buyers to accept anything less yeah. unless they agreed in the contract to accept anything less. So that's marketable and insurable title. We don't have time to go in the different, into the difference between marketable and insurable title, Yeah. Uh, but they are different. So just because you can get title insurance over a title defect doesn't mean that it the title is marketable. The, the buyer may be willing to accept insurable title but insurable title can sometimes be less than marketable title. So the contract says you have to deliver both, not just one. You know, sellers that have their own attorneys, sometimes the attorney will say, well, you can get title insurance over it. Yeah. Yeah, we probably could. And yeah, or yes, we can. But that doesn't mean that the buyer has to accept it because the contract says marketable and insurable. So that next one, H, is deed, taxes, and fees. So that's the sellers responsible for all of that deed prep. So us creating the deed, the seller is responsible for that fee. Um, they also have to make sure that they perform any obligations under state law providing tax stuff. Um, so that's, we're paying taxes on a calendar year. And so if you have mm -hmm. to pay taxes, I'm sorry. Yes. And calendar year is important here. Yes. Um, we'll have, I know we've already done an episode on the difference in how taxes are prorated. Taxes are prorated on a calendar year. I am tired of angry men yelling at me saying that I, that they don't, I don't know what I'm talking about because yep. it's prorated from July to June. No, yep. it's not. It's prorated on a calendar year basis under the contract and state law, and I will not fight with you about it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Next I is agreement to pay buyer expenses. This one gives me a headache because sometimes people will say things like, I want to pay half of buyer closing costs. 
Well, we went through that list of all of the things that come with a buyer closing. Um, we got loan fees, we got taxes are part of it too. And, and so does closing costs mean to a seller our fee or does it mean all of the fees? Mm -hmm. And so it, it gives me a headache. So please just put a dollar amount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you say half, we're going to write back to you and say half is not a number. We need a number. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, the owner's association fees charges, those are your HOA breakup fees. That's the way Tiffany has taught me to describe it. That, mm -hmm. That's the way we're going to describe it. Um, <laughs> so that's your verification of making sure you've paid all of your HOA dues. Payment of special assessments. Um, then those late listing penalties, so that would be for property taxes, um, any of those negotiated repairs and improvements, and the home warranty. So this is where buyers can say whether they want sellers to provide them with a home warranty. Um, and then seller's breach of contract, and it bops you down to paragraph 23 to read what happens then. Yep, which we will not get into today. That will be in a later episode. I do believe that one day we will get through this whole contract. That day one will day. not be today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Erin, um, thank you so much for spending the time to go through this contract with me. Agents, you guys might not like talking about legal stuff. That's why you have us. Um, maybe if you're getting sick of listening to us talk about this, forward it to your clients and say, this is what the contract means. <laughs> yes. so this has been the North Carolina Real Estate Show, <laughs> and we will see you in the next episode. <laughs>